From St. Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, they say that Americans love sound bites, little nuggets, right, to keep people's attention. In fact, there was a study done by Microsoft years, a couple of years ago, Microsoft, a software company, uh, trying to discover what people's attention span was across all ages and all demographics, sort of a collaborative measure of human attention. And the measure of an attention span is, you ready for this? Do I still have your attention? Eight seconds. Name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So the point I want you to see is that there's a, you know, the, the idea of a one-liner or a soundbite is something that you use to capture people's attention, to sort of rein them in and kind of get, get them dialed in on your message for just a minute. And so... Uh, Jesus, of course, is the master communicator, and of course, Jesus being the good Anglican that he was, knows a good soundbite when he has one, and so he says today in the scripture, he pulls out his book of common prayer, and he says, you guys know this, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Is it a soundbite? Well, kind of, actually. It's a mnemonic. But one thing to remember, and I want to unpack this today because it's a lot more dense than you think. It's sort of so familiar we forget what he's saying here, which is just outrageous. But he actually doesn't pull that out of his own memory. He actually, Christ is referring to two pieces of scripture, right? He's a good Jew, and these Jewish people said, what part of the law is most important? So Jesus says, well, here's one from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And then... Christ pivots to Leviticus chapter 19, again, part of the Old Testament law. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So my point is, Christ is not making this up. He's actually making this soundbite, if you will, pulling it out of the Old Testament, right? Love God and love your neighbor. Piece of cake, right? Thanks, Jesus. I'm going to dinner. Easy. Simple. No. Three points today. What does it really mean to love God? What does it really mean to love God? What does it really mean to love your neighbor? And then the most important question is, can you do it? What does it mean to love God? What does that mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor? What does that mean? And and then, can you even do it? So first thing, what does it mean to love God. You know, everybody says they love God. We put on the TV, oh, you know, God is my, I'm so blessed. Well, you got to be careful what you say, man, because when Jesus says, love the Lord your God, he's actually saying something very, very profound, and he says something even more important. You wouldn't know this. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourselves, these two points, he says, on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Um, If you don't know this, that the law and the prophets is Jewish shorthand for the Hebrew scriptures. So what Jesus is saying is the entire Old Testament, right, which is, let's see, uh, about this much of scripture, 
hangs on two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, right? The whole kit and caboodle, the whole shooting match comes down to one thing. L-O-V-E, love. The most dangerous and misunderstood word in the entire Christian vocabulary. L-O-V-E. What does that mean to love God? Well, imagine if I asked you to define love of another person, right? You'd probably describe it in terms of physiological love, right? You know, for a husband and wife, you know, that's called eros. There's a Greek word for that, eros. You might describe emotional love of a friend. There's a word, hey, pal, you want to go catch a beer? I love you, man. Let's go catch a beer. There's a Greek word for that too, philios. But the Christ, the love that Jesus refers to here is a super important word and very nuanced and and very specific. The Greek word here is the word, it is not physiological. It is not emotional. I love you, baby. I love you too, sweetie. Not that. The love that Jesus is talking about here, and this is where it gets really weird and a little more complicated than people think, is that when Jesus says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, that word is the word agape. It's a Greek word that means to put the needs of somebody else ahead of your own. It's a verb. Christian love, friends, is a verb, not a noun. Agape love means to put someone's needs ahead of your own. So put God first. And he says, no, nah, don't just put God first. You must put God first in all, with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Those words are not minor words. Heart means, the word is cardia, like cardiologist in Greek. And it, means, it doesn't mean your emotion. It means your guts, your core. What's the real you? That's got to be loving God. It's got to be your, your soul, your suke, your spirit, everything you value. That's got to love God too. And your mind, noose. What you think, that's got to love God too. You must love God, Jesus says. Listen to this. You want an easy, simple answer? Here it is. Love God with everything you've got. You are to love, it's a command and not a request. Stay with me. He says, you want an easy, you want a roll here? Here it is. Love God with everything you have, every single part of your being, your your the things you crave, the things you think about, the things you long for, heart, soul, and mind. You've got to love God with all of it. See, friends, everybody lives for something. Everybody lives, including you and me. We all live for something. What is it? Everybody has a priority. I talked about this a few weeks ago. What is it that you live for, friends? What is it that, where your heart and soul and mind go? You know what it is? Whatever that thing is, that is your God. This is what Jesus is driving at here. It's a lot more profound than it sounds on the surface. Whatever it is that your heart, your soul, and your mind are after, your core, your guts, what you think about, what you worry about, what you concern yourself with, whatever that thing is, that thing is your God. Maybe it's having fun. Maybe it's playing golf. Maybe it's drinking beer at the walking tree. Just saying. Maybe it's your kids or your grandkids. Maybe it's, maybe it's worrying about your family. I don't know. Maybe it's your house or your career, whatever it is. But here's the question I want to ask you because Christ's words are so profound. What is it that you actually live for? Because what you live for, friends, that is your God. I've said this before. My dad used to say to me, you know, Chris, life is all about priorities, man. 
Life is all about priorities. Where you spend your time, talent, and treasure, where your heart goes, there your, there, where your treasure goes, there your heart will be, Christ says. And so Jesus is saying something simple and remarkably profound. God demands everything from you. It's a command. Here's the question. Is he your top priority? For most Christians, their faith is a faith with a big but. <laughs> their faith is a faith that says, yes, but. I'd be in church on Sunday, but kids are in town. I'd be in church on Sunday, but I got a basketball game. I'd be in church on Sunday, but I got a fishing tournament. Whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever that big but is for you, whatever that but is, that, friends, is your, don't miss this, that is your priority. Whatever it is you place above being, loving God first, whatever that thing is, person, place, or thing, that thing is your God. You know, and, and, I, and I'm going to challenge you, if, if, you're, if I'm making you a little bit uncomfortable, good, because Christ's words in setting are very unset and disturbing. But I want to just challenge you on something that somebody once challenged me with, a very holy priest. He said, you know, what are your priorities? I want you to think about what your priorities are. I said, because someday, someday, Rodriguez, you will have to stand before Jesus and explain to him why you had those things in front of him. That's a terrifying thought. But it's true. We will all have to give account for our lives. Someday, friends, you and I will stand before Christ and explain to him why we chose something else but him. Yeah, Jesus, you're important, but. So the first commandment that Jesus gives us is a whopper. And I'll get to this more in a second. But it's either God is your first priority or isn't. But just realize that, just know where he is with you. And if he's not your first priority, then guess what? He isn't. You're in good company, but I'll get to that in a second. So do you love God? And I don't mean conceptually. I mean really. Is every part of your being towards him? I mean, if, if, you, if you imagine if you went and said to your wife, honey, I love you, but I'm not coming home for three weeks. I'm going out and playing, going on a camping trip with the boys, right? Or, you know, so you call my mom, hey, mom, I love you. Or maybe I tell people I love my mother, but I never call her. I don't spend time with her. Is that really love? You tell your kids you love your kids, but you ignore them? Or you don't talk to them? Or we don't know where they are or who their friends are? It's not love. That's a concept, but it's not real. Real love is action, man. Real love is a verb. And it means your focus is on that thing that you love. So the soundbite says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let's get into this one too. The Bible claims that people, I talked about this last week, that people are created in God's image. You and everybody else is made in God's image, whether they believe it or not, whether they like it or not, whether they believe in God or not. Scripture says they are all made in God's image. And so if we claim to love God, commandment number one, with everything we have, and yet refuse to love those around us, that word neighbor is not, it means everybody, then we've missed the mark. Love your neighbor is where the, the concept of love moves from, from concept into practicality. It's where the rubber meets the road. Jesus says, do you want to really know if you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind? Well, how do you treat the guy down the street that you can't stand? How do you treat them, the boss you have or the manager you have that you don't like? Because here's the thing, when Christ commands us to love God 
and loved your neighbor. It's that same word, agape. It doesn't mean you like him. It doesn't mean you want to spend time with him necessarily. It's not emotional. It's a verb. Love, Christian love is a verb, which is why Jesus says you must love your neighbors. Even stranger, he says later on, you must love your enemies. Anybody here of an enemy? Yes, you do. Or somebody you don't like? Anybody here of somebody they don't like? Don't raise your hand. Be quiet, man. But here's the thing. Jesus says, no, no. Those people, that you, those people that you don't like, that are toxic, dangerous, have betrayed you, have taken money from you, whatever, have, have undermined you, have left you, whatever. These people that have hurt you. Jesus says, love them. You're like, well, dude, I, I can't stand that person. How can I love them? Ah, here's the reason. Because the love for your neighbor is not an emotion at all. It's an action. I said this, I'll say it like this. You can, you can actually not like somebody you cannot trust somebody. You may even find somebody repulsive in their nature. And we all do. It's different people. Let's not play games here. It's the truth. There are people that you don't like and people that I don't like. God says, listen, you may not like them, but you do have to love them. You do have to put their actions ahead of yourself. It's the only way that Christ can command us to love our, na- our enemies is if loving our enemies means we don't like them. Enemies are by definition people that you don't like. That Greek, word for, uh, that Greek word for love is such an important, powerful word. It is not an emotion. It is not a feeling. It's an action. It's a verb. Christian love, friends, is a verb. It is a verb that does. It is a love that puts the needs of somebody else ahead of their own. It is love that makes God the priority in what we do. So let me ask you. Is God your first priority in everything we do? Is loving your neighbor your first priority in everything you do? Do you love God perfectly with all your heart and soul and mind? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? No. Me either. See, that Pharisee came to Jesus to test him. If you look back at the word, we talked about this in the other form this morning. The Pharisee came to Jesus. If you look at it again, Matthew tells us the motive of the guy that asked the question. Jesus, what's the most important law? We know the guy's motive. It says it was to test him. And that word test is the Greek word parizo. And it's the same word that, that Matthew uses in one other place. It's where Christ is brought into the desert to be tempted by Satan. That Pharisee is there to try to knock Jesus off his mark, to try to get him to stumble. To, the, the man is saying, I want to prove myself. Jesus, I want to prove myself. Tell me what I need to do to be made right with God. And Jesus is telling this young lawyer, hey, look, man, be careful what you ask for. Because the standards of God are so high, the demands of God's righteousness are so high that you can't do it. See, if you're thinking to yourself, man, you know, I really don't love God with all my heart and soul and mind, you don't. And if you're saying to yourself, you do love God with all your heart and soul and mind, you don't. And if I say to you, I do love God with all my heart and soul and mind, I don't. I want to, I know I should but I don't always, and neither do you. I know I should love my neighbor as myself. I want to, but I don't always. And this is actually my third point, I think the most important point of the summary of the law, friends, which is this. Point number three, can you do it? Can you love your neighbor completely? No. Can you love everybody you meet completely? No. Do you love God completely? No. 
See, here's the problem, and I want you to hear this, right? And this is what Jesus is driving at. People take this text as, I'll just love everybody, yay! No, man, you totally missed the reading of what he's saying. He's saying, look, the requirements of God are so high, you cannot possibly do it. Left unaided, you are and I are hell-bound. We cannot save ourselves. But here's the interesting thing. If you know Jesus, he in fact... He, in fact, does love God with all his heart and soul and mind. And, in fact, he does love his neighbor as himself. In fact, from the cross, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. My point is, the commandment to love God perfectly and love our neighbor perfectly, we can't do it. Where we fail, Jesus succeeds, friends. No human being can keep all the law that Christ requires us. No person can keep it but one man. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he says, this is the law, but you can't do it. I can't do it, but Jesus can. See, friends, here's the thing. If you look at Scripture, salvation salvation has, listen, has always been by the law. Did he just say that? Yes, he did. (laughs) Salvation has always been by the law. Salvation has always been by the law, meaning that the salvation, the scriptures lay out what the rules are. The problem here is, and I hope you see it, is that none of us can keep it. I can't, and you can't either. But Jesus can, and he did. And see, the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, And love your neighbor as yourself is not a soundbite. It's not a formula. It is a summary of the law. It requires what God demands of human beings like you and I. And then it also points out, if you think about it for a moment, it is an impossible standard. That God's roles are so high, not any person, not you, and certainly not me, can keep it. Not even Mother Teresa can always do it, right? No person who ever made can keep the law except one man, Jesus Christ, who died in your place to keep the law in your place and in mine to offer you the free gift of the way out by his death on the cross in your place and in mine. And this is why the summary of the law is so important. It doesn't create in us pride or self-righteousness. It does show us what to do and how we should act. But it also, if you're a thoughtful person like you are, leaves you going, you know what, I can't do that. Jesus can, and he did for me. The summary of the law shows us the incredible gift of God's grace. And if that's true, then you have to realize something. This is the biggie. That even if you fail, and you will, even if you fall short, and you will, and so will I, God knows, Christ offers you a way out by his death on the cross in your place. He offers you the free gift of salvation by keeping the law in your place, his blood being shed to pay the price for your sins and for mine. But... And here's a big but. Jesus will take no back seat to any person, place, or thing. And if his offer of salvation is not radically altering our priorities, not perfectly, none of us is perfect, we're all sinners in a fallen world, just remember that. But if Christ's offer of grace and salvation is not changing you slowly from the inside out, then I would submit to you this, that maybe you don't understand what he's done for you in the first place that the laws of God are so high, but his grace is sufficient to save you. Is it changing you? Is it changing you? That, friends, is the important point of the summary of the law. 
Friends, brothers, brothers and sisters, I mean, like my dad said, you know, life is all about priorities. It's all about priorities, what we choose, because the priorities we choose show us the true gods of our heart. There's only one right answer, and we're all a work in progress when it comes to it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang everything. But most importantly, realize this. The summary of the law is not a, not a method. It's not a, a, a soundbite at all, actually. What it is is a reminder to point us to God's grace, to show us that even though we can't keep the law, he does, that Jesus saves us, and that it is he who keeps the law in your place. So we pray, Lord God, teach us to number our days, to be mindful of our priorities, to be thankful for Jesus who came to earth to save us. We thank you, Lord, for your law, which shows us how to live, which guides our decisions, which helps us to live on this world as your sons and daughters. But, Lord, most importantly, remind us that none of us can save ourselves, and Christ is the one who saves us. Where we fail, he succeeds. Where we fall short, he is successful. And it is by his grace that we are saved. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.